We have been talking really the last uh, handful of weeks. We're, I mentioned we're going through the book of Luke and talking about life with Jesus, kind of all the different dimensions of our life and, and what would happen if those are connected to Jesus, what would happen if we were able to bring every part of our life and have it intersect with who Jesus is. That, that's what we desire. That's what we want, whether you're just beginning in faith or exploring it or if you've been a Christian for a long, long time. That, that's what we want as Christians is to have life with Jesus. And really, the last few weeks, we've been talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus or what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be mastered by him, if you think of the language of disciple, and to walk with him. We've talked about who Jesus is and what it means to be a disciple, to daily go where he is going and to walk where he is walking, but also as we talk about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, we want to talk about what it means to join Jesus, to not just like him, to not just say, yeah, I want life with Jesus because he's a cool guy and I like him and it's inspiring and he, he speaks some, some good things and I, and I want to receive his teaching, not just that, but what does it mean to actually participate with Jesus? What does it mean to actually join him in what he is doing in this world? What does it mean to not just listen to him, to like him, to love him, to appreciate him, but what does it mean to join him, to participate with him? Because that's what Jesus calls people to do. As he begins to show people, here's who I am, and here's where I'm going, and thus, here's where I want you to go. As he begins to call people that, call people to him, he calls people to join him. Many people, we talk about Jesus as our Savior, and that's true. But he is not only our Savior, he is also our sender into his mission. He is the capital S Savior that saves our life from sin and darkness and death and suffering, but he is also the capital S sender that says, I want you to join me. I want you to go into the world and be a part of what I am doing in the world, to be brought near to Jesus and enjoy him and know him and experience relationship with him, to get close to him is always to then go from him into the things that he calls us to do. So, so for some of you, you might know that. You might know that Jesus has a mission for our life that he wants us to participate in. For some of you, you might be new to Christianity or new to that idea. Maybe as you have gotten to know who Jesus is and you're interested and you begin to think more kind of about how does that affect your ethics and your morality or how does it affect your purpose in life? How does it affect uh, your emotional center in life? How does it affect even kind of community and friendship? But you might be new to the idea of thinking about what it means to actually go with Jesus on a mission. Some of you are new to that idea. Some of you have known that idea. Some of you want to be a part of that. Some of you, that might even excite you to say, okay, what, what is this mission that Jesus has for me? Yes, I am interested in him and I want to get to know him and, and I like what I see. And, and maybe even in your life, you've been a Christian for a long time and, and you want kind of what's next. And Jesus wants us to know and to understand that to have life with him is always to participate with him in his mission. He wants us to join him in his mission. And when we talk about mission, in any mission, there's a few things that always have to be present. That mission has to be defined. And really, the difficulty of that mission has to be presented and then the resources to accomplish that mission have to be given. This is true with anything. This could be true if you're a coach of a sports team. You kind of define the mission. It might be to win the game. And if you're kind of giving a speech to your, your, um, you know, your team, if you're the coach, you might say, but here's the difficulty. They've got, I'm thinking basketball, they've got you know, these giant players and, and their team has won multiple things. And, and so it's going to be hard, but here's what we can do. We, we've been together this long and we work well as a team and, 
you know, this guy can dribble the ball really good and all that sportsy stuff, right? That you might give a, a, an encouragement to. Or for those of you that are Star Wars fans, just recently finished the Star Wars movies uh, with my kids. And, um, and uh, you know, the, I think about the, the destruction of the Death Star, spoiler alert, but uh, for those of you that are 50 years later or however long it is, but it, it does go down. Um, but they kind of define, here's the mission. We've got to destroy the Death Star. But the difficulty is there's only one weak spot that's in there, only one part that can actually end it. But here's the resources. We've got some of the best pilots. We've got these people. So kind of those three things are always included whenever you talk about a mission. You've got to define what the mission is. You have to talk about what the difficulty is. And then what are the resources that are available? Jesus is going to give that to us today. He's going to help us if we, if we want to join him and participate with him in his mission. This passage is, is a great passage, and there's a lot of stuff in here. We'll, we won't even be able to drill down on every single little piece, but we'll be able to see at least those three buckets of what is the mission and what's going to make it difficult and what resources we have. So let's explore this together. Luke 10, 1 through 24. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this household. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't move from house to house. When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. When you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we are wiping off even the dust of your town that clings to our feet as a witness against you. Know this for certain, the kingdom of God has come near I tell you, on that day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. And whoever rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. Starting with this question, what is the mission of Jesus? To be a disciple of Jesus is to participate with him in his mission. It's to participate with him in what he is doing. But what is the mission of Jesus? We long, you and I long for a world made right. We long for a world that is better than this world that we experience. And, and we feel if we can get from where we are now to a better world, then things will be better. Change will be experienced. Transformation will happen. We, we look at areas in our life and we long for better, or we look at areas in our families or in our relationships, or we look at areas in our city or our world as a whole, and we long for it to be better. Even many times this happens in the political season when there's new candidates campaigning, and people believe and long for if this person, and this is America, so we don't use the language of king and kingdom, but, but we say if this person could be king, if this person could rule, then things would be different. Things would change. And sometimes even the opposite, we say if this person is in charge, then things are going to be worse. And I'm moving, people always say, I'm moving to Canada, which I always feel bad for Canada. Like, oh, you're getting all these people that don't want to be in their country. 
And, I, and also, to me, that's like a cop-out. If you're really going to commit, don't just drive a few miles north. It's, no one ever says, I'm moving to Uzbekistan or I'm moving to Greenland. No one ever goes that far. It's just, I'm moving to Canada. Okay, fine. Okay, wow, big whoop. Canada's just, you know, a close neighbor. But, but that idea is this, I want a better kingdom. And maybe there, maybe with a different leadership, maybe in a, a different kingdom, things are, things are better. Maybe life is better. Maybe change can be experienced better. Maybe community can be better. Maybe justice can be better. Those are the kinds of hopes that we, that we long for. We long for a better world, for better relationships, for better reality than we have now. And that's very similar to the message that Jesus gives to his disciples as he sends them out. He tells them to say this and to do this. He says, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. That's what he sends them out to do, to heal the sick and to announce the kingdom of God has come near you. Healing the sick is a part of that. We see later, we'll see in this passage, and we saw earlier when Jesus sent them out, that deliverance from demonic power is a part of that. That to announce what Jesus says and who Jesus is, is a part of that. That to heal the sick and to deliver from supernatural spiritual forces of darkness and to bring the teaching of who Jesus is and what he says into people's life is all a part of saying the kingdom of God has come near you. He, he also says in this passage, kind of using the language of peace, if you go into a house that you are to say that the peace be upon you, which isn't just kind of a general greeting just to say, hey, peace be with you. But it's a, it's a declaration that God's peace can come into people's lives, that God's reconciliation that being made right with God and enjoying a peace and satisfaction and deep spiritual rest that comes from that is a possibility given to them in grace. These are the things that he sends them in to do. This is what Jesus's mission is, what, what Jesus wants to do. And I know this is such a, a big idea that it's hard for us to really grasp onto. But what Jesus wants to do is to bring God's kingdom near to you. Think about what if God was king in your life just as an individual. I mean, think about all the emotional turmoil that we feel. Whether that's stuff with identity or it's guilt that we feel or shame that we feel or past hurt that we've had. And what if you could experience just internally life with Jesus as king? That would be a, a good experience. It would be transformative for our hearts, our souls. Now think about what would happen in your friendships or your marriages or your families. If, if Jesus was king, what would it look like in your marriage? How, how would you relate to one another? What would happen if fully it was lived as God's kingdom? This is part of what Jesus even taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we could say in my marriage as it is in heaven or in my family as it is in heaven. If God was king, if Jesus was, if the kingdom of God was brought near into your family, and wouldn't things be different? If it was lived as if Jesus was king, experienced as if Jesus was king. I mean, think about in our city. There's so much brokenness. There's so much pain. There's so much hurt. There's so much injustice. There's so many problems. But if Jesus was king, if Jesus was king, think about all that would be resolved and all the harmony that would happen. And so much of it is hard to even know how to deal with. So much of the problems in our lives internally and in our families and in our, in our marriages and in our friendships and in our jobs and in our cities, it's hard to even know how to deal with all that. I remember voting back in November and, and so many of the different things. It's like, man, that's hard. I don't, I don't know. What is the best thing? Should we give more money to that? Should we not? Should we save the wolves or should we introduce them and 
have them eat everybody's calves and goats and all those things? And should we? My kids were freaked out that that passed because we hike a lot. And they're like, there's going to be wolves everywhere. It's like, I, maybe, I don't know. But it's like, it's, it's, should we do it? Should we not? It's, it's hard to even figure out. But if Jesus was king, think about all the good and all the experience and all the transformation that we would experience socially and internally and relationally and civically. And Jesus says, I want God's kingdom to come near to you. I don't want that to just be some grand vision. I really want you to feel and experience life with me as king and the practical effects of that. That's that's what Jesus' mission is. The mission that he gives to the disciples is to go out and to demonstrate the kingdom through their healing and through their deliverance and to announce the kingdom, saying the kingdom of God has come near you because the king is present. That's what the mission of Jesus is. It is to bring the kingdom near. The mission of Jesus is for us to announce, to demonstrate that, to bring that near to people and to help people enter that, to help people experience that. You know what this means for us? This is so interesting, by the way, because this is the beginning of chapter 10. In the beginning of chapter 9, it says that he sends out the 12 apostles. Just, I'm not going to put it up on here, but it says, this is the beginning of chapter 9. It says, summoning the 12, that's that's the the 12 apostles, you know, that are classically known. And he sends them out to do this same work. But here... In the beginning of chapter 10, it says he sends out the 72, which is a big increase. And no names given. We knew who the 12 were because, because earlier it says, here's who they are. And, and Jesus gives, here, you, you have this kind of special place as the 12 apostles. You get to be painted in the Last Supper. That's, what they, that's who they are, right? But the 72... That's a much larger number and no names. We don't even know who they are. See, what this means is that Jesus is giving this mission to anyone that is brought near to him, to anyone that becomes a disciple of his. It's not a unique thing for the church leaders. It's not a unique thing for the apostles and the founders of the church. It's today, it's not a unique thing to be a part of Jesus' mission for, for me or for other pastors and leaders. That's, it's not a unique thing. It is a disciple thing. It's a Christian thing. That if you are a disciple of Jesus at this time, you're one of the 72. You are somebody that he calls in to send out. You are one of the people that even without a name, God says, Jesus says, you are invited. You matter to the mission of God. The mission of Jesus that he gives here is to bring the kingdom near to people. To bring life with Jesus as king, demonstrated, declared, That's the mission. And it's a mission that he gives to each of us. It's a mission that belongs inherently in what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. That's the first thing. But what is the the difficulty on the mission of Jesus? Every, Every mission has a difficulty. Every mission has many difficulties. And fear often is the very thing that actually keeps us from being a part of God's mission. We fear the difficulty. We might read just the first part of this passage and say, okay, great. I want to bring God's kingdom into people's lives. I want God's kingdom in my life. I want to be transformed with what it would look like if Jesus was king. I want that. And and I want other people to experience that. But there's difficulty. There's challenges, and when we look at those challenges, we can be afraid to actually be a part of that mission. 
What I love is that the very first thing that Jesus really does is set expectations. Before he even tells them, here's what I want you to do, heal the sick, declare that the kingdom of God is coming near you, before he does that, the first thing that he does is to set expectations that this is going to be hard. This is going to be difficult. Jesus is a good leader. And a good leader normally sets expectations first and says, before you sign up for this, before we engage in this difficult mission, before we do this, I want you to know what you're actually signing up for. And Jesus does that. He sets the expectations. He tells them what is difficult, in part because that prepares us for it, if we know what's difficult, but in part because by acknowledging the difficulty, Jesus is also eliminating excuses to be a part of his mission because it doesn't catch him by surprise. He says, yeah, I know that's a part of it. I know that that's a challenge. I know that that will be hard. So what are some of the difficulties on the mission of Jesus that he gives to us? The first is this. The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Again, that's the very first line that he even tells them. As he sends them out, the harvest is abundant, which means there are many, many people, using an agricultural term, there are many people that are ripe and ready for the kingdom of God to come into their life. There are many people ready to receive the power of Jesus in their life. There are many people ready to be forgiven of their sin. There are many people that are in need and hurting and need to experience the healing power of God in their life. There are many people suffering that are ready to receive a God of comfort. There are many people lonely, ready to receive community. There are many people ready to receive, okay, what could happen if I wasn't the center of my life anymore, but Jesus was king. There are many people, the harvest is abundant. That, that was true then, and it's true today. The problem is never the amount of need that is available. There is so much need. Just in this room, there's so much need. There is so much need of Jesus, of his kingdom coming near to us. There's so much need, so much hurt, so much pain, so much sin. There's never a lack of need here and out there. The harvest is abundant for the kingdom of God to come near. But the problem is that the workers are few. The problem is the workers are few. And that's one of the difficulties Jesus wants to prepare them with. Because as they go out, and listen, as we go out, and when you think go out, you can think of as you engage in relationships with people that do not have Jesus as king. You can think about that. You can think about those relationships with people that are not Christians. And you can think of as you go out and to build loving relationships with people and help them to know him as king, some of the difficulty. You can also think about it just in terms of people that you even know here in the church and, in your, and, and with your kids and, and other relationships that you have, even that are Christian, that as you go out to serve and help people experience more of God's kingdom coming into their life, that there is always need. And if we don't understand that from the beginning, then what happens is we're overwhelmed as we see it all. We're overwhelmed as we get exposed to, man, this person has need and this person has need and this person is struggling and this person's stuck in sin and this person's got some wacky beliefs that are hurting their life and this person's relationship is falling apart and, and these people, I don't know how to answer their questions and they're struggling with doubt. and There's so much that as you step out, it can be overwhelming. And sometimes what happens is then as you are stepping out onto the mission of Jesus to be a part of bringing his kingdom, you feel extra stress, burnout, feel like there's so much more than I can do and how could I do it all? And, and it becomes burdensome. It becomes crushing. It becomes tiring. 
we can even develop bitterness because we see I'm, I'm, there's so much need and I'm doing all this and there's, there's not enough people. Why aren't the other people doing anything? Jesus says, this is always going to be the case. It started with 12 and it went to 72. But that didn't solve it because there's always more need. It doesn't matter how many churches are started. It doesn't matter how many uh, people are saved and then engage in God's mission. There is always need. This is one of the great difficulties of being a part of God's mission is that the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. That's the first difficulty that that we face as you begin to step out into God's mission. The second that we will face is rejection. He says, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. That doesn't sound that encouraging. I was going to put a picture up of a lamb among wolf, and it would probably look very red, right? It's not, this is not a pretty picture to be a lamb with a bunch of wolves. You don't normally see that. If you go to the zoo in the wolf section, there's not usually a lamb just hanging out with the wolves. He might be hanging out internally with the wolves, but there's not usually lambs and wolves coexisting side by side. He says, I'm sending you out like little helpless baby sheep that are going to get eaten up. Oh, thanks, Jesus. That sounds nice. And when you enter a town and they don't welcome you and whoever rejects you, he's setting up a context to say, you're going to be rejected. And even these statements of judgment that Jesus says against certain towns, he is saying that for some of these towns, they had seen, for Capernaum, they had seen a ton of Jesus' miracles in that particular city. They had seen so much of his ministry. They had seen so much. And some of these were Jewish cities that, had, that knew the Old Testament, that knew about the Messiah, that, that would have been believers in, in God and worshipers of God. And they rejected Jesus. They rejected his ministry. It wasn't just like these, Jesus is even saying, it's going to be worse for these places than for Sodom, which is the Old Testament town that God sent fire down on, pagan city. And Jesus is saying it's going to be worse here because you already know some of the knowledge of God and you are rejecting. So the rejection, the non-welcoming, the wolves are not just, if you think about this, as for those of you that are Christians, it's not just those evil, bad atheists out there. He is saying part of what these people are experiencing, the 72, is going to be the rejection from the religious It's going to be the rejection from those who actually should know better. It's going to be the rejection of those that already have some knowledge of God. But whether it's from those that do not know Jesus or from those that have been exposed to much, one of the greatest difficulties that Jesus presents to us that we will face is rejection. This is probably one of the top fears that we have. If you think about bringing God's kingdom into people's lives and speaking about Jesus as king in people's lives and calling them to enter and to know him and to enjoy him, probably one of the top fears that we have is rejection. What will they say about me? What will they think about me? What will they tell others about me? How will my reputation change? What if they don't want to be friends with me anymore? It's a real fear that we often have. And a lot of times we don't participate in Jesus' mission because of this fear. Where have you, even just to think about your life, where have you not spoken out of fear of rejection? Where have you not acted out of fear of rejection? Jesus says, as he sets expectations, And this is a hard word, but he says, you will be rejected. You cannot let fear keep you from God's mission. Because if you are focused on protection, you won't have participation. If you're focused on keeping yourself from being rejected, you won't be able to be a part of his mission. 
Jesus says, one of the difficulties that comes along with my mission is you will be rejected. You will be thought poorly of. You will not be welcomed in certain places. You will be eaten up and chewed up by certain people. That will happen if you enter my mission. That's your encouraging word of the day. Third difficulty that we face is distraction. Here's what he says. Don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. These, these are hard instructions too. Jesus says, I'm sending you, look, I mean, I'm just imagining the disciples hearing this, right? He gathers 72 people. Like, yes, we're a part of, I thought it was just the 12, you know, they're, they're so cool. And I always want to be like the 12. And like now we all get to be a part of this. Okay, Jesus, we're ready. What do we do? And he says, well, there's a lot of work to be done and there's not that many people. Okay, that's not so good, but it's all right. But I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Okay, that doesn't sound very fun, but at least we've got our money with us. Don't bring your money back. Oh, okay. But I've, at least I've got my, my nice suitcase that my, my mom just made for him. Don't bring your travel back. Okay, but at least I've got my shoes. Don't bring your shoes. Okay, this is getting hard, Jesus, but you know, maybe we'll meet some nice people along the way that we can hang out with. Don't talk to anybody on the road. Wow, this is a rough mission. This is hard. I mean, he just kind of keeps piling it one after the other. And really the point of all this, and, and it was the same similar instructions that he gave to the 12 when he sent them out, is not to be distracted or hindered by anything, but to be completely focused on the mission that Jesus has given to them. The difficulty that we often face is distraction. One scholar, commentator on these distractions says this. He says, they may be things, the distractions, that are good in themselves, like extra clothes and nice things to eat, for example. They, they might be good things, yet they delay us from doing the work that God has for us to do. The time is too short, and the work of the gospel is too important for us to dilly-dally. Too many Christians lead divided, distracted lives. We rush from one thing to the next, without ever taking the time to make sure that what we are doing is the best way to fulfill our commitment to Christ. Think about that. Too many Christians lead divided, distracted lives. We go to this thing, we go to that thing, we go to this thing, extra sandals, extra money bag, traveling bag, talking to people, we do all these things that might actually be good, but we take often don't take the time to say, is this the best way for me to be focused on what God has called me to do? Is it any wonder then that sometimes we doubt whether we are really making a difference in the world? I think most of us want to make a difference. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you, you want to make a difference in the world. You want to make a difference in your friendships. You want to make a difference in your family. You want to make a difference with your kids. You want to make a difference in our city. You want to make a difference if you're in the church here and you're serving in some way. You want to make a difference in the, in the ways that we are serving. But one of the difficulties on the mission of Jesus is we are easily distracted. Easily distracted by often good things. Money bags and travel bags and talking to people along the road are not inherently evil things. Don't go burn down, you know, sandals. Don't burn all your sandals when you go home and just be like, Jesus says sandals are evil. That's not the point. The point is that anything that distracts us from his mission is something that keeps us from participating with him in the life that he has invited us into. Let me ask you, have you desired to make a difference? Desired to join God's mission, but felt some of what Philip Ryken said, some of those distractions? Have you desired and you know you have felt that? It's not like you don't want it, but you've desired it and distractions have crowded it out. Or another way to even ask this question is, where have you had intention to follow Jesus in his mission, 
where if you had intention, I am going to do that, I want to do that, but then other stuff got in the way. Other stuff came up. And you say, okay, I'm kind of putting that over there and I will get to it, but other stuff came up. Where has that happened? Difficulty in being a part of the mission of Jesus is that there's a lot of work and the workers are few. The difficulty is that we will face rejection. And the difficulty is that there's a lot of distractions. There is a lot of difficulty. And maybe some of these ring more true for you than than others. But where has it been hard for you to be a part of the mission of Jesus? Where has it been hard for you to engage with those that do not know Jesus and to seek to say, the kingdom is near to you? Where has that been hard? It's hard for all of us. It's hard for me. Where's it been difficult for you? Part of what I love that Jesus spends so much time on this is it means he sees every obstacle. They don't catch him off guard. They don't surprise him. He sees every obstacle. He sees the obstacles of resources, of time, of fear, of rejection. He sees all of the difficulty. None of it shocks him. And says, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen to you. I'm sorry if I would have known. I wouldn't have asked you. He sees all the difficulty. And he still says, come with me. Come join me. Come be a part of my mission. Come bring the kingdom of God near to people because it's worth that. Last thing. What resources are given on the mission of Jesus? We know what the mission is. It's to bring his kingdom near to people in word and deed. The difficulty we just spent time looking at a lot. What are the resources that he gives to us? Because it's not easy. We, we need some resources if we're going to engage in a difficult mission. And a lot of times we don't engage or we get off course or we fall back. Meaning we did engage, but then we kind of fall back to what we know or what's easy because we don't feel like we have the resources. So what is it that we need? What resources do we need if we're going to engage with his mission? The first thing we need is help. First thing we need is his help. Sometimes we feel as we engage in the mission that I have to do more. I have to I, or, or we feel like I can only do so much. As you look at all the needs that exist, sometimes we go, okay, I know this is my part, but there's so many needs, I need to do more. And then we overburden ourselves with too much. Or sometimes we feel like, okay, this is my part, but, you know, I can only do so much. And we don't care about the rest that is going on around us. And Jesus gives us something different than that, that he calls us to, but also is a resource that he gives, which is he gives help. Look at the passage that we looked at before, the sentence. He says, the workers are few, but here's the answer to that. It's not to just be overwhelmed by it or to just say, what can you do? It's therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. When you see the overwhelming amount of need, When you feel the burden, when you feel stress, when you feel pressure, when you want to engage in the mission of God, but you say there's so much to be done, he says, bring your need. Bring it and pray. The call to pray means we're not alone. The call to pray means that he wants to be involved. To pray to the Lord of the harvest means he is in control of the harvest. It means he sees the harvest. It also means this. It means when we feel the overwhelmedness, when there's so much to do, it can change. To say pray to the Lord of the harvest, to send out workers, is implying God can actually do something about it. To say that there's so much need and so few people, but pray means that can actually be different. I wonder... I wonder if so much of the need that we see and feel and so much of the burden that we even take on ourselves. I wonder 
if much of that is because of our prayerlessness, because we don't actually take this word seriously. Instead, when we see our ability and our time and we see the amount of need, we either try to do more or we just give up. Instead of actually saying, yes, I need the Lord of the harvest to be involved in this. What would happen if we actually took this seriously as we confronted the difficulty of few workers? He says, I can give help. I can bring more people to be involved. It's my harvest. I'm in charge. And when you see those needs, you're not alone. You feel alone. You feel like, man, I wish there was more workers. I wish, but I can bring more to be a part of it. That's the first resource that is given is he says, I'm the Lord of the harvest and I can send more help. I can bring more people. Secondly, he says that he gives protection. I'll, I'll read kind of the, the fuller part of this that we haven't read yet, but then we'll focus in. He says, the 72 returned. So they go out on this mission. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning, which is to say, I, I'm seeing the defeat of Satan taking place through your work. Look, I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. Those would be symbols for the work of the demonic activity and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. However, don't rejoice that spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And he says this, I've given you authority and nothing at all will harm you. It's talking about the spiritual forces that are at play as we engage in the mission of Jesus. And he says, here's one of the resources that I give to you. I will protect you. Which, listen, we, we believe as a church that, and I know for some of you, maybe this is weird or you're not sure kind of where you stand on this, but we believe that there is real demonic activity and power that Satan is at work in this world to hurt and harm people and keep the kingdom of God from entering into their life. And he says, I'm sending you out into that. I'm sending you out into that, and yet I'm giving you authority and nothing will harm you. Which means this, Satan will try to accuse you. Satan will try to condemn you. Satan will try to tempt you. Satan will try to stir up bitterness in you. Satan will try to stir up conflict among Christians. There's many things that Satan will try to do. And he's saying, he doesn't have the power over you. I have given you the power to resist that. I have given you the authority and power to overcome that. Your salvation isn't in question. The accusations that come against you do not have to stand when you have been saved by Jesus. The condemnation that comes against you doesn't have to stand. We do not have to fear as Christians the power of Satan and the enemy because Jesus has said, nothing will harm you. I've given you authority. I've given you authority to resist temptation, accusation, condemnation, all of it. He says, I have given you the power to resist that. So listen, in our lives, we face a lot of work that Satan tries to do against us. And we might succumb to that, but only because we are not using the resources that God has given us, not because Satan is stronger. Satan is not stronger than God. And God has given you as a Christian authority to trample on scorpions and snakes, not literally speaking, but spiritually speaking. Nothing has to harm you when you rely on the resources of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And then third, this is so interesting, they engage in his mission and they come back successful. They come back and they say, Jesus, you sent us out and it was awesome. And it says they're excited. It says there's joy. It says they're, they're really happy about what happened. And he corrects them and says, wait a minute, calm down. 
They say, even the demons, even the spirits, they submitted to us. We had, it was so crazy. It was so cool, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wasn't it awesome, John? Yeah, what about you, Larry? Yeah, it was so good. And, and they just, I don't know if one was named Larry, but there's 72 of them. And they just, yeah, this was so good. And Jesus says, hold on. Don't have joy. What? Don't, don't be joyful about that. Don't be joyful about your success. Because you know why? He wants to give us a resource that's greater than a joy in our success. Look, look what he says. Don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is one of the greatest resources that Jesus gives to us on our mission. He gives us a deep, stable, reliable, non-external, non-conditional source of joy. He says, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's a simple statement, but very profound. To say that our names are written in heaven, and then I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that in a second. Let me read this, because then, then Jesus does this, which is really an example of the joy that he's calling them to have. At that time, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. He's saying that the, the powerful, the rich, the wealthy, the religious leaders, the scholars, they, they missed who Jesus is. And he has revealed it to infants or the humble these disciples, all things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Then, turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings, think of the Old Testament, wanted to see the things you see, but didn't see them. To hear the things you hear, but didn't hear them. This really is an example of the joy. Jesus is celebrating in prayer, God, thank you that you have saved these people. Thank you that you've revealed yourself to these people. Thank you that we could use his statements back to what he said before. Thank you, God, that you have written these people's names in heaven. Jesus is taking joy in and really modeling what he's calling the disciples to take joy in. Their salvation by God's good pleasure. Their salvation, though they were not great and powerful. Their names being written in heaven, though it wasn't because they were wise and intelligent, but they were infants. Their salvation because of the good pleasure and mercy of God. The things that all the Old Testament prophets and kings said, one day the Messiah is going to come. One day salvation is going to come. One day God's going to set the world right. And Jesus is rejoicing, saying, you are blessed. You get to have this. See, one of the resources Jesus gives is a joy that isn't based on our success. Listen, when I read this story and they go out and the, the demons submit to them and they come back, that's so natural to do. If you have a great conversation with a friend that's not a Christian and if, if you have a great conversation with your child and helping them to understand who Jesus is, if you meet some needs in suffering, if you see the demonic pushed back and people's lives delivered, it would be natural to say, wow, that was awesome. And Jesus is saying, I want you to have a deeper joy than that because that's unstable. Because you might go out and a whole town might reject you. You might go out and the laborers might be few. You might go out and you get distracted and nothing then happens. I want you to have a deeper joy. And one of the resources that he gives to us is no matter how well it goes externally, we have an internal joy from a spiritual reality that our names are written in heaven. To have your name written, especially during this time, would be a matter of public record. If you were written as a Roman citizen or you were written, your name in the official books would mean you had all the privileges and benefits of having your name recorded. 
that you got all the access, all the benefits. If your name was in the official book, you get all the privileges, all the rights, all the joys of that. I remember when my wife and I, our wedding night, we had uh, an older couple that had bought us our first kind of night for our honeymoon at the Fairmont Hotel, which was basically the, the nicest hotel in the, in the Northwest. And amazing hotel, fancy kind of, you know, swanky stuff. And we go into, you know, really excited. We go into the lobby and go up to the desk and say, hey, it's Caleb and Sarah, we're here. Obviously, they know it's our honeymoon. She's wearing her dress and I was wearing sweats and, you know, a t-shirt. But, um, and they say, uh, okay, let, let me look. What's your name, Caleb, Sarah? Okay, yeah, your name's not on the list, which means all the privileges and benefits and rights to this amazing kingdom of the Fairmont, we don't have access to. Our name's not on the list. If, if our name was on the list, we would, we would get to have all of it. And our name wasn't on the list. And I said, listen, I'm a, I'm a Christian man and this is my honeymoon. I can promise you, you don't want me in the lobby right now. And I didn't say that, but they, they said, <laughs> they, they, it, we were in the lobby waiting around for 45 minutes. And eventually they figured it out. Eventually it got resolved. But our names weren't on the list, which means we didn't get all, our names weren't written in Fairmont heaven. We didn't get all the privileges and access and benefits. Only when they could confirm that our names were there did we get that. Jesus is saying, your name is on the list. The privileges of life with God, the privileges of his salvation, the privileges of forgiveness, the privileges of getting to enjoy relationship with the king of the universe, the privileges of having your shame removed, the privileges of being invited into the family of God and being adopted, the privileges of one day a future secured for you that will eternally be joyful and you will not have any crying or suffering or tears or any of the pain or sickness that we experience now with all of that is given to you because your name is written. And he says, that's the joy I want you to have. One of the resources that we have on the mission of Jesus is not just our external success. He says, you have a resource of a deep joy. Your name is written, official record, by the hand of God. Your name's written in heaven. Rejoice in that. That's one of the keys that we need to engaging in his mission. When we have that, it fuels a passion. It fuels a boldness to be involved in the things that God has given to us to do. Listen, we want to be disciples of Jesus and we want to participate with Jesus and we want to be on mission with Jesus. The mission is to bring his kingdom near. There's a lot of difficulty. There's a lot of difficulty, but not without resources that he has given to us. He has given us every resource to engage in his mission. Now, let me give you a few quick applications, specifically. First, that I want to encourage you towards, Sarah said this in the announcements, but is to come to our fireside chat in two weeks. We're talking about what it means to live in a post-Christian culture, how to be a Christian on Jesus' mission in a post-Christian culture. And I would encourage you to come to that, to learn, to grow, to be able to get some teaching and training on what that looks like, on how to do that. That's the first thing. Second thing is every year we do a prayer and fast leading up to Easter. And we are going to be doing that uh, starting this week where we want to basically do what Jesus just said. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Ask God, Instead of just seeing need, instead of just feeling need, let's come to God and ask him to do something. Let's ask him to work in our cities. Let's ask him to give us joy in salvation that may fuel us participating in his mission. And so I want to encourage you, even just in our response time when we take communion, to go to our Next Steps page. Go to truelivedenver.com slash nextsteps. And there's right under the connect card, there's a sign up for the prayer and fast. And you'll get an email every week 
with prayers to pray for that week and times to pray with other people. And I want to ask you, pray with me over this next month. Let's ask God to work in our lives and let's ask God to work in our city. That's the second thing. And then the third thing that is an application to this is to be one of those workers that says, there is an abundant harvest. I want to join. Not just to lament that the, the harvest is so abundant and the needs are so many, but to enter into, to be a worker, to join in Jesus' mission. And there's a lot of ways to do that. You can do that in simple ways, just serving on a Sunday. You can do that in ways with your friends that don't know Jesus. You can do that in your family. You can do that by expressing um, desire to be a part of leading in some ways, whether that's community groups or other opportunities that there are to lead. There's a lot of ways that you can say, I want to be a part of that. One of the ways that really is modeled even in this passage is sending out two by two and with the 72 people to go create community, to bring God's kingdom near. And so every time that we start a new community group, we like to bring up community group leaders and pray for them and have, give them a, an opportunity to share their heart. And so I want to invite up now uh, two of our new community group leaders, and you've met them up here before, uh, but Dion and Olivia. Dion is our church planting resident and him and Olivia just this last week started a new community group and I want them to just share a little bit about their heart for that and then we will pray for them as a church. So really, guys, just take three seconds and say, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, just share a little bit about your heart for leading community and and even if you want to share where that is and any information on it, if others are interested. Well, uh, early on in Olivia and I's relationship, we realized that um, we kind of we definitely complement each other, but um, just enjoyed um, creating community together. That we um, really were a good team at that, and um, just loved doing that together. And so um, we're just super excited to be able to be able to do that here to um, foster a an environment um, where God can transform lives. God can transform. Um, relationships and um, really just be the kingdom um, within a group. Um, so we're just pumped for that. Uh, so do you want? Do you have anything to say about that? Yeah. Uh, just logistics. We're meeting on Wednesdays at s between six thirty and seven, um, and our location is kind of in the works right now. We have people from all around the Denver area, um, so that's kind of the logistical aspect of it. So if you guys will pray, um, even after today, even after, you know, Caleb prays, um, that we uh, be able to be that kind of community, that we can foster um, a, an environment for God to transform lives, um, and then also for that to happen, and then to be able to send um, the people from our group um, to be um, his kingdom's light in this world. So yeah, we're just super excited. Thanks for praying for us. Amen. So we're, we're going to pray for them, and then we will, uh, and worship crew, you guys can come up too, but uh, we're going to pray for them, and, then, and we're going to take communion, and when we take communion, that is, it is remembering what Jesus has done, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us, to bring his kingdom near to us, to save us from the kingdom of darkness, and bring us into the kingdom of light through what he did on the cross, and so when we take communion, that is what we are remembering, so take that time as we take communion to confess ways that maybe you have um, allowed the difficulty of God's mission to overcome the participation in God's mission. And, and pray and give yourself, offer yourself to Jesus to be a part of his mission. That can look like all sorts of things. It may look like leading a community group. It may look like beginning to get trained towards some other aspect of leadership. It might look like serving. It can be all sorts of things, but to give your heart, to offer him, to say, I want to be a part of that. And then use that time as well just to rejoice in your salvation. That your name is written in heaven because it was written by the blood of Jesus. And so join me in praying for Dion and Olivia and their new community group. And then we will take communion and then we'll respond in song. So Father, we thank you for Dion and Olivia. We thank you for this new group. And God, I pray that you would put your hand upon them.
even as you sent out the 72 two by two, you send them out to start this work of bringing your kingdom near. And even the resources that we just looked at, I pray that you would empower them and fill them with those resources. Bring along even more labors for the harvest to help in what you have called them to do. Fill their minds and their hearts with the trust and confidence that you have given power over every difficulty that is involved in Satan seeking to stop their work. Remind them that you have given them power and authority. It doesn't come from them, it comes from you. And, Lord, fill their hearts with deep joy in what you have done for them. Beyond just how great the community group is, let their hearts rest in your joy that their names are written. And so let this define and mark their leadership. Lord, we pray that it would be a place that your kingdom is known and felt and brought to others. And Father, we ask that just as we take communion and sing, that you would allow our hearts to worship you, to know you. We thank you that you have written our names. We thank you that you call us to participate in your mission, that we actually get to be a part of what you're doing in this world. So God, as we take communion and sing, would you even now just meet us here? Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.